Hey guys. So we're recording. If you've listened to Tuesday's episode, you heard me say we're recording at my house now for a little while at least. And we're going to face each other when we talk. It's really exciting. We love it. You hey. probably not, but. Which is Magic Murder and Mystery Podcast. Hey, I'm Kara. I'm Megan. Hey. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It's fun because we just recorded Tuesday's episode. So it's fun to get to look at you mm-hmm. when I'm telling the story. Yeah. So for this episode, uh-huh. I had a few episodes ready. You all got wild with it. And I could not decide which one to do. And so I went to the Facebook group and I was like, hey, tell me which Real one. Thick. And then you guys voted and it was like the same. When I first got here, we counted and it was a tie. It was exactly the same. Yeah. And I was like, no, they have to pick one. <laughs> you all go choose. But the serial killer episode won out. Yeah. But that's okay. If you wanted the other episode. She'll do it. Again, I'm going to so- do it also. It'll yeah. just be probably my next one. I'm excited. Yeah. Obviously, if I did, if if I took the time to research it and write an episode, I must think it's interesting. Right. Uh, let's see. Do we have anything else? Look at my list of sources for this. Oh, just I just kept being like, well, what about this though? And so and I then just, there might be this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I made the most amazing Motown playlist. So this thing I've started doing when I'm trying to get up out of bed and I'm not quite ready yet, I'll put a playlist in my AirPods and I'll lay there in bed. But it has to be a playlist that's like so upbeat. Yeah. Get you going. And so I made this Motown playlist playlist to get myself up and going. It is the best playlist in the whole world. I'll probably post it in the Facebook group. It's on Spotify. All right. Here's a thing that comes up a lot when people find out that we have this podcast. Right. They'll be like, you know, why did there used to be so many serial killers and now there's not? And I've especially noticed it with people who don't typically get into the whole true crime thing, Mm -hmm. mostly because those of us who are really into it, no, there's a lot. There's still a lot of serial killers. Yeah. There's, um, there's some active ones right now. Yeah. We'll talk about them at the end. But first, the question of what led to the rise of serial killers decades ago is big and complicated, and there's no simple answer. Right. There's a lot of different factors that fell into place at once. And I think it's important to think about this because it could happen again. And there's some research that is predicting that it is going to happen again because mm-hmm. of events that have already taken place. Well, it's because the world is a dumpster fire at the moment. So. <laughs> yes. so we'll get to that later too. So first, mm-hmm. let's do a quick definition of what a serial killer is. Oh, please. I've told you, I used to be a teacher, right? So when I was trying to figure out, like I had all this information and I'm like, where do I start? And I'm yeah. like, okay, we'll start with what's a serial killer. Yeah, <laughs> Super basic. Bullet points. Serial killing is the rarest form of homicide. <laughs> it's just, which Kara finds hilarious. It sounds like this is one of those commercials that she's about to tell me all my side effects. Yeah, I was gonna, like it's like a, yeah. <laughs> you should call your doctor if this. And it's like the side effects are worse than your symptoms. So you're like, I don't know. If no, I please. Do this. I took an antibiotic once. I was really sick right when my book came out because mm-hmm. I think I wore myself down. I got so sick. Right. And one of the side effects was black, hairy tongue. <laughs> I was like, no thanks. I'll just die. Like, what do you mean? Black, hairy tongue? Don't Google it. I know you're going to. Mm-hmm. You're going to regret it if you don't already know what this looks like. I put it on Facebook and all my friends who know how super sick I was, they had the best time with that. Amazing. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Off topic. Here we are. Okay. According to Crime Museum, a serial killer is conventionally defined as a person who murders three or more people in a period of over a month. It's three or more. With a cooling down period between murders. (laughs) Cooling down period. Well, because you know, sometimes they'll be like a mass killer Mm. or a spree killer. And that's different from a serial killer. Right. 
So for a serial killer, the murders must be separate events, which are most often driven by a psychological thrill or pleasure. Mm -hmm. Serial killers often lack empathy and guilt and most often become egocentric individuals. These Mm -hmm. characteristics classify certain serial killers as psychopaths. Serial killers often employ a mask of sanity to hide their true psychopathic tendencies and appear normal, even charming. Hmm. The term serial killer was coined in the early 70s, and it became more well-known in the early 80s. But the very first serial killer came long before that. I hate this story. I just love history. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I just like this really old stuff. But I hate what I'm about to tell you. I'm so scared. I'm still going to tell you because I've never heard of it. It is kind of interesting. Who was the very first serial right. killer? He was a British nobleman named. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I should have looked it up. Giles de Reyes. Mm-hmm. It could also, it's G I L L E S. Gillis Gil- de Reyes. Gillies. Who lived from 1404 to 1440. He was an admired soldier. He fought alongside Joan of Arc in some of the major battles. Did he also fight along the gentleman that ate his leg or ate somebody's leg? You know, I didn't see that. Oh, okay. I read a couple of references to him as Joan of Arc's bodyguard. Oh. He also murdered more than 100 children. Mm, He was a stand-up individual. So here's a quick history on this guy. His parents died when he was around 11. His dad in a hunting accident. His mother of unknown causes. He had a quick temper, and he was a fearless soldier on the battlefield. In 1429, he was appointed to France's highest military distinction, the Marshal of France. Wow. A couple years later, he was spending more time at his estate in western France and less time on the battlefield. He spent exorbitant amounts of money on all things wealthy people like to spend money on, like decor, music, literature, servants. I like food. Food. <laughs> if that was, if I was very wealthy, it would be food just food all the yeah. time. In 1433, he paid for the construction of a chapel that he called the Chapel of Holy Innocence. Mm. And this chapel was that's what he was. It was staffed by a boys' choir oh, that De Reyes himself um, selected. So he's spending money like crazy, and his financial situation starts to tear. Oh, does it? deteriorate. Because apparently you can't just spend money forever. And not make it. Mm-hmm. Oh. So he sold off some family land, which caused a big rift with other members of his family. And he started looking into, like, alchemists and sorcerers to help him revive. His feet. He, yeah, he started OnlyFans. Yeah. That's this. It's not a surprise, really, that the founder of OnlyFans was also the first hero. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> whoever invented only fans is like what'd she say about why this? is she talking about this i'm sure they listen to the podcast yes they're huge fans mm-hmm. in between Patreon. taking pictures at their feet right mm-hmm. i got no shade towards you if no. you are making thousands how, of dollars how? a month taking pictures of your feet i don't know i mean i need to know anyway <laughs> here we are serial killing <laughs> Darius investigated the occult as a means to save his rapidly collapsing finances employing a succession sold one of his castles no, he's got to have those castles for all the bodies. Right, 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 right. He wants to do, like, spells, basically, you know? Man. So he's getting on to this occult stuff. When he gets into all the occult stuff, children start to disappear. Back then, huh. if a nobleman decided to take a young boy as a servant, it wasn't particularly unusual for his family to, you know. Right, they would think that they're... They were, like, be permanently separated. Make you a knight. Right. It's great. And they were, like... Yay. It's literally what a knight's tale is. Yeah. Well, it's also like Elizabeth Bathory. Like some of the girls that disappeared in her castle, it 
their families were like, oh, they're going to be warm and fed and taken care of. Yeah. Even though if you've heard our Elizabeth Bathory episode, I don't. They weren't cared for. Well, and I also don't, but I don't think she was the evil blood bath person that people made her out to be. What they call her? Something. I can't remember the name. Something. The blood countess. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't believe that. We can talk about that later. (laughs) So in some cases, the parents probably really didn't know. What had happened to their children. Right. But it seems that in other cases, it was sort of an open secret that Darius murdered kids. During trial, witnesses said they'd seen Darius' servants disposing of the bodies of dozens of children at one of his castles in mm. 1437. Mm. And the children belonged to families of low social status. And frankly, they were afraid. Right. They felt like there was nothing they could do. This was right. in 1437. Remember? I mean... <laughs> We still talk about people, right? Just families who like, I'm not important enough to law enforcement for people to care. Yeah. In September of 1440, Darius kidnapped a priest. It was over an argument that had nothing to do with the murders. It's like a whole separate thing. And he was arrested for kidnapping. And at that point, he went on trial for a bunch of stuff. Heresy, sodomy, and the murders of more than 100 children. Eventually, Darius confessed and told the court how, over the last decade, his servants had kidnapped children and he'd ritualistic, mm-hmm. ritualistically tortured and murdered them. Wow. Darius was sentenced to death by simultaneous burning and hanging. Wow. So he was a monster. Quick aside, when he was put to death, this is ridiculous, okay? When he was put to death, he'd been very contrite. Oh my he, gosh. He just, he was, he felt bad. And he was very demure and contrite. And people praised him after his death as a model of Christian penitence. (laughs) They even observed a three-day fast after his death. And this tradition started in the area where he had lived. On the anniversary of his execution, parents would whip their children to remind them of the gravity of the sins for which he had repented. And it's believed that this tradition lasted for about a century after his death. Huh? A hundred years, Kara, of being like, remember that guy who tortured and murdered kids? Hundreds of kids. I'm going to beat you now. We're going to think about him. He was real sorry. <laughs> he didn't mean it, but I do. <laughs> what, are you, what? Who decided that was a good idea? Why? Why do we do this to our kids and oh. then expect them to grow up to be normal, functioning adults? <laughs> Uh, Let's get back to the history of serial killers. I just wanted to tell you all that story. Okay. Wow. So for this episode, I'm focusing primarily on U.S. serial killers. Okay. In the 1980s, there were nearly 770 serial killers operating in the U.S. In the 90s, it drops to just under 670. There's a huge decrease in the 2000s where we had below 400. And as of 2016, there's just over 100. Hmm. Those numbers line up with the global rate of serial killers, too. So it didn't just drop here. It dropped everywhere. Okay. So let's talk about that. I'm sure we've all heard it said that research shows that the United States has more serial killers than anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. Although that might not be entirely accurate. We just don't know. Right. Dr. Mike Mm -hmm. Emote, a forensic psychology professor at Radford University, spoke to A&E. And he theorized that the U.S. doesn't actually have a much higher number of serial killers in other countries. It's just easier to find them here. Right. For two reasons. First, to know a serial killer is at work, law enforcement has to just... Dis- <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> Somebody commented in one of the voicemails. She got tongue-tied and she goes, oh, I've got Megan's problem. 
I guess I what do that all the time. Somebody said in that review about our speech our, impairments or something. Our quirky speech patterns yeah. or something. And I was like, yeah, they're not okay, wrong. Sure. They're not wrong. Okay. So one, to know a serial killer is at work, law enforcement has to discover and link the murders to one killer, which requires competent law enforcement agencies, which the U.S. has. Two, after you identify a serial killer, you have to make that information available to the public mm. by the law enforcement making an official announcement right. and having prison records available to the public. So his point is, we're able to identify and connect killers to their victims quicker, more easier. easily. Yeah. And he brought up another good point. Our murder rate isn't significantly higher than other countries. If the U.S. had a higher murder rate than the rest of the world, he said, I'd be more likely to believe that we have more serial killers, too. Mm. But compared to other countries in terms of the murder rate, we're right around the middle. Okay. Next time you hear someone talk about how the U.S. has so many more serial killers, just remember that may not be the case. What they're saying is, is like in other countries, there could be a serial killer, but the deaths have just not been connected to one person. Right. He also had a theory that part of the reason we see so many more serial killers from the 70s to the 90s is that the term serial killer wasn't even coined until the early 70s. Mm. And like I said earlier, it wasn't commonly used until 1981. He's basically saying it's harder to go back and research this because before the 70s, there wasn't like a label for serial killers. You have to look for headlines like three people murdered or multiple deaths and then figure out if it's something that fits the criteria for a serial killer. Yeah. It's a good point, and I agree with it to a degree, Mm -hmm. but it's still pretty well agreed upon that we had an uptick of serial killers that began in the 60s and declined in the 90s. Many (laughs) of the experts I read about say that serial killers have existed since the beginning of time. So I told you about the very first known one. Right. But there were several who also talked about how we don't have a lot of records of these things from a long, long time ago. Before law enforcement existed, before newspapers existed, Mm -hmm. there was just no way to track and record these things. But there was a lot of talk about how in Europe, from the 15th to the 18th century, there were a lot of people who went on trial as werewolves, right? They went to trial for being a werewolf. Ordinary men who became monsters out of nowhere. Most of us can probably agree Mm -hmm. that werewolves don't exist. Maybe. We can argue about it sometime. But... The people who were tried as werewolves, they think, were most likely serial killers. (laughs) (laughs) Serial killing werewolves. Mm -hmm. One of the experts talked about when you read the transcripts from werewolf trials and those people, they were accused of doing exactly the things the serial killers do. But back then, we just couldn't imagine that a person would do these horrific things. So we thought a creature would do it instead. Right. A human creature. The only way to make it make sense is to make it supernatural. Right. I miss those days when we thought that like... Humans would just never be so awful to each other. I just think that everybody's an alien. This has to be supernatural. Why would they do it? A lot, man. Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my hair cut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all Mm -hmm. over again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo. Uh T-Y. M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Kara and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh. got a so straightener exciting. and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good 
hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge NCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against this ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay, so I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly wavy hair so it was a huge game changer for me it dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny which i noticed immediately mm -hmm. i didn't even need to straighten it afterwards and usually i do because usually i have all those wild like curls left over yeah. the wind power on this thing is intense it's wild like i turned it up i was like let's play with these buttons okay so it has three magnetic styling attachments they're all amazing you know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like oh my gosh this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's right. gonna be so tangled not with this one nice. and it's magnetic so it's great so right now you guys our listeners can get 30 percent off their first order at timobeauty.com t-y-m-o beauty.com using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to tymobeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Summer is the season of hot temperatures, outdoor adventures, and refreshing water activities. Summer is also the season of rough on your feet causing dry, cracked heels and toes. Introducing Babyfoot, the original exfoliation foot peel that contains 16 natural extracts formulated to remove dead skin cells in three easy steps. Apply the booties, relax for an hour, then wash your feet. In 14 days, you've got baby smooth skin and your feet have never been softer. Letting dead skin cells build up over time is hazardous to your foot health. Our professional-grade DIY products, like our original exfoliation foot peel, our men's foot peel, or our moisturizing mask, are some of the best foot care products on the market created with your foot health in mind. Pamper yourself with a spa day from the comfort and convenience of your own home with Babyfoot. If you want a chemical-free, easy-to-use exfoliating process from the company that created the original foot peel, it's time to treat yourself to Babyfoot. Go to babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24 and get 20% off your first order with Babyfoot. That's babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24. So yeah, so serial killers have always been around, but let's talk about what happened in the later part of the 20th century. Criminal justice expert Peter Vronsky hmm. wrote in his book, American Serial Killers, The Epidemic Years, 1950 to 2000. Read that. There's yep. a quote. Yeah. Slight reading. Of 2,604 identified serial killers in the United States during the 20th century, 89.5% appeared between 1950 and 1999. Hmm. And 88% of those appearing from 1970 to 1999. So that was the big yeah. jump. Vronsky has studied serial killers for decades, and he's like, okay, serial killers generally develop the personality and compulsion of a killer as a child, okay, and it's fully formed by the time they reach 14, and they begin killing in their late 20s. So this is the pattern he typically sees oh. in all the serial killers that he studied. Okay. He took a look at what was going on in the world when some of the most well-known serial killers mm -hmm. were growing up. So John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, mm -hmm. and Ted Bundy, they were all born during wartime. Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, mm -hmm. and Richard Cottingham, the torso killer. They both had fathers who were returning war veterans with oh. PTSD. Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State killer, was a veteran himself, right? though he never saw combat. And as a child, his dad was in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. So I did a quick 
search on PTSD and parenting and found a few things. Okay. A 2019 study by researchers in the UK and South Africa suggested that parental PTSD is associated with more frequent use of negative parenting practices, such as overt hostility and controlling behaviors. Mm -hmm. Another article I read talked about how it's a parent's job to make their child feel safe and loved. And sometimes a parent who is dealing with their own past trauma doesn't even just can't do that. Parents who disassociate because of PTSD can leave a child feeling neglected Mm -hmm. or ignored. And they just can't provide proper emotional support for their child. Right. And then the child may think that they're the reason for the parent's behavior. Mm-hmm. They become depressed. They copy the parent's aggressive and violent behavior. Mm-hmm. They feel unwanted, unloved, become hostile towards their parents. The whole point is like children learn how to act and respond to their world by watching and imitating their parents. Well, right. So when you have a healthy model in front of you, great. Yeah. But when the model in front of you can't. Right. deal with stressors and right. has unhealthy reactions, then you might develop your own social and interpersonal issues. Yeah. Vronsky said, children who are already predisposed to violence and then were raised in potentially violent, broken homes, you put those two things together mm-hmm. and serial killer, you could become a serial killer. So it's not like every person mm-hmm. raised by a military father or every person raised by a parent with PTSD right. becomes a serial killer. Right. But... People with psychopathy, sociopathy, and other personality disorders are predisposed for aggression and violence, low empathy. They could be pretty mild if yeah. the kid grows up in a pretty well-functioning yeah. home. But if you introduce a dad with PTSD or a dominating mother or child abuse, and you're the, setting the stage you throw for in abuse and all that. Yeah. When I did CASA, our training, I would sit in on like more classes training. And it would just be like, these are the signs you look for when you go to these, you know, meetings where the parents are coming to visit the children while the children are in foster care and they have to meet at like CPS or whatever. And you watch for like eye connection with newborns or like all of this. Mm -hmm. And if the newborn's not like connecting with the adult, like there's all this like distress and like all this stuff going on. And it's like going to be a trigger later in life. And then we'd meet a kid that's in juvie who like set fires Right. To houses and stuff. And they're like, okay, well, what was this kid's past like? And you're mm-hmm. like, ooh. Right. We see it in the papers. Then. And that's the thing they talk about later is like, now we know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Back then, we didn't. Right. So many times these fathers would return from war and they just could not integrate back into their families. Right. And that left the mother to raise the kids alone. We know of a lot of serial killers who had big issues with their mom. Oh, God, yeah. The mothers of serial killers are often domineering and sometimes overprotective, mm-hmm. which would have be frustrating to the child and then that frustration would evolve into rage towards women in general right that was the case with ed kemper mm-hmm. who like he just wanted to kill his mom yeah and he murdered all these women until it finally hit him that what he really wanted was to murder his, his mom, mom. Yeah. and as soon as he murdered her he stopped he yeah. called the police turned himself in and he was, was like i did it by the way everything i read basically talks in terms of male serial killers who targeted women right. because 85 percent of identified american serial killers are male Mm-hmm. And 82% are white, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, keep on making non-white people the bad guys, but whatever. Right. After compiling data for years, the FBI has determined that women are far more likely to be the victims of serial killers than men. Okay, back to what I was saying. That doesn't mean that every child with a mentally ill or abusive parent is going to become a serial killer. Right. But if you're already genetically predisposed to become a serial killer, these factors make a difference. So it's right. not just nature They're and just it's not just nurture. It's right. both. Okay. Aside from the right circumstances to create a serial killer, if the mm-hmm. genetic predisposition is there, right. what else? So first, like I've mentioned, 
this is what was going on when the children of fathers returning from World War II are becoming adults. Like this is that time right. period, right. 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. And Vronsky said there was a less pronounced but noticeable increase in serial killings from 1935 to 1950, which is right after World War I. Right. So it wasn't just the World War II. Yeah. It was both. Another thing that happened in the 70s is the U.S. highway system. Oh, Hitchhiking but... was a normal way of life. <gasps> my dad used to talk about that, how yeah. he would hitchhike when he yeah. was in the Army. And you'd wear your uniform and people were more likely to trust right. you and pick you up. Right. Hitchhikers had no qualms now, about getting across the stranger. Now, if you see on the street with random camo oh, on, no. no, they're not the Absolutely army. not. <laughs> Hitchhikers were just getting across with a stranger, and they were easy targets for right. serial killers. Oh. So you can see how this gives you a large pool of potential victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually, people stop hitchhiking as it becomes more and more clear that it isn't safe. So then, serial killers don't have the hitchhikers. They have to figure out another way to get their victims, and they right. start breaking into homes. So this is when right. we start to see murderers like the Golden State Killer mm-hmm. and the Night Stalker. Home. Yeah. yeah. Then, home security systems make that one harder. Mm-hmm. And again, serial killers have to turn to somewhere else. So you can see how it starts out big. Right. And then, as time goes on, yeah. it gets smaller and smaller. Yeah. So that's when sex workers became a primary target right. of serial killers. Mm-hmm. These were women, mostly, right there on the street who were willing to get in the car with a stranger. Yep. And you got the added issue of how, in many of those cases, no one would go looking for a missing right. sex worker. Right. So sex workers got smarter. And once again, serial killers had to evolve and adapt mm-hmm. with the times. Now you've got the internet. Right. Invented by Al Gore. Killers started seeking out victims online. And this is where you see serial killers like the Craigslist killer. Mm-hmm. But you can see when you look at this, like serial killers have to be willing to adapt and work harder. And the victim pool is still getting smaller and smarter. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, smaller and smarter. That was a typo, but it works. <laughs> Over time. Better. At least that easy to reach victim pool right. is getting smaller. Another thing that some people think led to the initial increase in serial killers is the media fascination with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the way some murderers basically became celebrities. They're making headlines, people right. are talking about them, right. making them feel important. Right. Well, and also so, they're just trying to get attention. Right. That they maybe didn't get as a child. Yeah. And then factors I haven't already mentioned that may have played into the decrease. Cell phones were introduced, mm-hmm. which makes it easier to track not only the murderer, but yep. the victims as well. Yeah. It well, also I mean, all sorts of tracking devices. Have oh been yeah. Created. So it's like it's harder and harder. And so like they know it's harder to get away with. Yeah. And of course, advances in DNA technology and investigative techniques have probably played a role. So these days, some potential killers may never act out because they don't want to get caught. Right. And then here's another theory that I personally find incredibly fascinating. Okay. And I can't remember if I sent you this or not. Somebody sent me this on TikTok and I had to go look up more stuff. So violent crime rose because of lead poisoning in leaded gasoline. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it declined because of lead abatement policy. So there's a Forbes article in Mm -hmm. the show notes. As always, you guys, all the sources are in the show notes. And it gives three reasons why this is a pretty good theory. One, the timeline works out. Mm -hmm. If you were a toddler in the 40s and 50s ingesting high levels of lead, mostly because you're breathing in automobile exhaust. I was like, why are you ingesting lead? Exactly. Quit licking things. Yeah. Then you'd be the right age to be a violent criminal in the 60s and 80s, right? Yeah. 20 years later. This correlation between leaded gasoline and violent crime shows up in every country studied. And when lead concentration declined quickly, crime declined quickly. When lead concentration declined slowly, crime declined slowly. Hmm. And then third, here's a direct quote. 
Research shows that lead poisoning causes significant and probably irreversible damage to the brain. It messes with cognitive abilities and intelligence, but also your ability to make decisions. And it damages areas in the brain responsible for emotional regulation, impulse control, attention, verbal reasoning, and mental flexibility. Oh. So the lead thing to me is like... Hello? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from all of those reasons about why there's been a decline in Uh serial killing in recent decades, as humans, we're just getting smarter. Right. That's debatable and objective, I guess. Mm -hmm. In some ways, we're getting smarter. We're generally less vulnerable. We don't engage in as many risky behaviors. Mm -hmm. We listen to true crime podcasts and learn from the stories of other victims. Yeah. Um, almost all of us carry phones that track our location mm-hmm. and give us a quick and easy way to call for help if we need it. Yeah. Security cameras are all over the place and right. hopefully they work. Yeah. We're being tracked all the time in a million different ways, which means it's harder to become a victim mm-hmm. and it's also harder to be a serial killer. And we're more aware now of the psychological issues that can produce a serial killer. Just like what you were talking about with CASA. Yeah. Like they train you now for what to look yeah. for to know there's a problem, but no one yeah. was doing that back then. No, no one even knew that that was even a problem. Right. And also, if it was, you didn't talk about right. it. Like no, now, you today, don't talk about other people. mental health is important. And for the most part, it's a much more well-accepted thing yeah. to talk about. So we're detecting issues and treating those issues mm-hmm. and helping other people detect and treat those issues. Mm-hmm. Betterhelp.com slash WMMM. Currently, the FBI says that serial murder makes up less than 1% of all homicides in the United States. Oh, I bet domestic violence is the top. We do have serial killers who are active right now. There's the I-70 killer, the Eastbound Strangler, the Long Island serial killer, the Chicago Strangler, just to name a few. And of course, those are just the ones who've been identified, right? Like, not that we know who the killer is, but we know that there is one. But there's probably other people out there whose murders have not been Just not been linked yet. Mm -hmm. So there are plenty of unsolved murders out there. And also, we're not factoring in serial killers who were active in the past and have simply gone dormant. I mean, look at BTK. He stopped Mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah. And then he got started again. Yep. This is the part that I'm like, oh, God. Could we see a surge in the number of serial killers again, like the one we saw in the 70s? Vronsky says yes. He's predicting a rise in serial killers in 2030. That sounds fun, guys. Eight years away. But also think about the amount of PTSD people are having already from COVID. Oh, yeah. From just like being in the house. His reasoning for the 2030 is... He thinks it could be triggered by the market crash of 2008. So here's what he said. And in the exact same way. Down. Yeah. Yes. In the exact same way, the trauma of war and Great Depression produced the golden age. There seems to be the same mix. A lot of kids lost their homes and had families that were broken because of a broken economy. Ooh. If my hypothesis is correct, 20 years down the road, we're going to see some serial killers emerging out of it. He adds, serial killers appear in surges and surges are related to trauma and family breakdown. Michael Andrew Arnfield, a Western University criminology professor, agrees that this theory is correct. So it's not just this one guy. Right. He said, I think that it's plausible, he says, social media, superficiality, and a lack of family safety net as a result of recession. This has already been a driving force behind other issues. So it could happen due to a massive cultural shift. Oh, guys, just be nice to people. I mean... What do you think of California alone, the number of serial killers that were operating in California in like the 70s and 80s? Don't bring that back. It's terrifying to me to think that we could have that again. Yeah. Because when I listed just a few that I listed right ago, I-70, right. Eastbound, Long Island, like, you know. That's still It feels too like much. too many. Yeah. And that's nothing compared right. to what it was back right. then. 
So what if we have that again? <laughs> and we'll talk, we'll be talking about it. So we'll be like knowing it. Yeah. We'll have to switch the topic of the podcast. To Breaking just, news. To just, yeah, to just magic stuff. And, yeah. And manifesting. <laughs> okay. That's it. Wow. That's why, guys, it's not a simple answer. Be nice to your neighbor. Yeah. Please take care of each other and look for, you know, people who need help. Yeah. Because that's the thing, right? If that's a factor. If it's if creative the, if in that environment. Yeah. Environment growing up is a, such a big factor. Maybe we should just try taking care of the kids. Yeah. Um, it takes a village. So, yes, yeah, so the next time when you're talking about how you like true crime, if somebody brings up like this question of how did, why are there no serial killers these days? There's going to be in eight years. You can just go through, you know, this long, detailed explanation of the many, many factors that yeah. led to the just rise the episode. and then the decline. <laughs> and then also mention that, P.S., it might happen again. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Sleep guys. well, guys. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> we love you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.